Well, how Jun Chang? I learned something new um, that yeah. there is such a thing as edible economics, and that is the title of your book. Um, subtitles: How Beef Explains Free Trade, which is still a mystery to me. <laughs> I, I guess I mean we have lots of questions. It's a book so packed with information that I don't even know how to begin covering it. <laughs> but, but the first thing I wanted to ask was, mm. whatever gave you the idea um, of tying food to economics, mm. except that from your background, I mean, I, I, I gather that you are somebody who loves food a great deal. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah and no, you are an economist. That's <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, well, my view is that uh, in a modern capitalist economy, unless everyone understands at least some economics, you know, democracy is meaningless, you know, that, that you had that people, you know, voting for Boris Johnson in the UK because he was a uh, lovable rascal, you know, uh, people voting for George W. Bush because he looked like someone who you could have a beer with, you know. Well, well what kind of uh, the reason that, that is it? Uh, you know, like it or not, economics is uh, at the heart of our society. And I thought that it was very important uh, to spread uh, uh, economic knowledge among the general public. So I have been down some kind of uh, one-person crusade for mass economic literacy <laughs> campaign. And I thought that, that uh, you know, the, the best way to the, take that uh, economics to people is to start with the food, which uh, everyone that uh, can relate to. So that's uh, how it uh, came about. No, you no. view food as a cultural expression, right? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it yeah that touches upon so many of our aspects of uh, our society. You know, it, uh, it uh, touches on production, international trade. You know, the health and uh, inequality, and yeah. So that. Once you begin to talk about food, uh, it is very easy to kind of uh, uh, take uh, the reader into economics without them uh, quite uh, realizing it. But, wow. but it's not—it's not a trivial thing to, to up, up and move all the way from Japan half halfway around the world. Now, Korea. Korea, Korea, yeah. Korea, well, yeah. Japan's just up the road. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> next door. Yeah. <laughs> So, so what, no, this, this, by the way, from Hajun, mm. from a geography uh, graduate from Cambridge oh, University. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just up the road from Japan. <laughs> okay. Uh, Go ahead, Bradley. Well, so, so, what, so what's the answer? Why, why, why did you choose and how did you manage to pull it off? Mm. Well... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, when I was uh, an undergraduate student uh, in South Korea, we were taught this uh, very technical, apolitical standard economics, which, of course, uh, has its uh, uses. But uh, I, I had, you know, the bigger questions, you know, that the country was at the time going through a most extraordinary economic and social transformation and the kind of economics that I was taught uh, in university really didn't have much to say about it because it was all about equilibrium and price formation in the market and so on. 
so I, I wanted to uh, to explore the, the bigger themes uh, of uh, you know structural change at the uh, social conflict, you know, and uh, Britain at the time, uh, sadly, the, the much less so these days. Uh, at the time, uh, offered uh, a much broader range of uh, economics uh, and. Yeah, I wanted to uh, study economics more broadly. So despite the fact that uh, at the time, very few Koreans actually uh, went to the Britain to, to study, I chose to do that. And, and, they, and they said they were, so, they were so surprised that Korean would apply that they decided to let you in anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, the, 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 yeah, the, when I arrived in Cambridge, there were only two Korean students in the whole university. Right. And I arrived with the, 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 the four others. Uh, so the, the, and then one, one of them but, the, the, who was already there left. Uh, so, yeah, in my first year in Cambridge, uh, there were only five Korean students. And uh, I, I think that... that what, 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 year, what year was that? What year was that oh, it was uh, 1986, yeah. So the, that was a time when the very few people... Yeah, actually, the heard about Korea, you know, and uh, you know that uh, it was uh, a time when it took uh, me 24 hours to uh, go from Korea to Britain. I mean, these days, well, I mean, because of uh, Putin's war, now we have to fly a few more hours. But you know, before that, we could. Uh, fly to uh, between Korea and uh, Britain uh, in 11 hours or so. But uh, in those days, uh, you know, uh, uh, this was uh, the time of the Cold War. We couldn't sure, uh, fly sure. the Soviet Union. So we first we had, had to, to uh, fly to Alaska, Anchorage, yeah, <laughs> nine hours, and then two hours of fueling stop. And then the, the, the plane the, came down to the, the Europe but not to London, but uh, only to Paris. Uh, so I had to wait in Paris for three hours for my connecting flight. Oh, and yes. yeah, that was uh, my first uh, international flight uh, the ever. So yeah, that, there we go. <laughs> Those are the days. No kidding. Well, no, no, I, I was I was thinking you might you might have been familiar with with some of my contemporaries. Not quite not quite a. Contemporary was John Maynard mm-hmm. Keynes, yes. who, 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 in, who invested King's College's endowment with such skill that, that, that he's, he's, he set them up for, for decades to come. That's right. Yeah, he did. I mean, he's uh, one of the few economists that who have ever made money in the stock market. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Most of them lose money. I mean, <laughs> well, the, the story the story goes. I don't know if you heard this story or not. Mm-hmm. But do, during the 1940 conflict, the World War II, Keynes was working for the government because everybody <clears throat> who was able-bodied and intelligent went sure he was, yeah. to get and do that. And the British government, Treasury, came to him and said, we're desperately short of, I think it was the Portuguese currency. Was po- uh-huh. Portugal, said that, Portugal, yeah. Portugal was not mm. was not involved in the conflict. It was it was That's right, yeah. mm-hmm. So so Keynes said, "Well, wait till tomorrow. You'll have mm. you'll have all the whatever whatever the currency is." Peseta, yeah, it is good. You, you would yeah. like. 
So, uh-huh. so he so he flooded the market with the percentages uh-huh. that he had, which, which caused which caused the currency to collapse totally. Yeah. <laughs> and they desperately came to him and said, "Can you can you help us out? We seem to be in trouble." <laughs> yeah, sounds just like Keynes, you know, that uh, he understood uh, the the market psychology. He was a very daring uh, yeah uh, person and yeah i mean there we go uh, unfortunately other economists have uh, taken a more mechanistic view of the market and uh, right? they didn't do as well uh, in the financial market as yeah. Keynes did <laughs> i think one one of the one of the tutors that uh, that my contemporaries used was called Joan Robinson oh yeah the, and, uh, her, her, yeah. Her, her, spro- her name is probably still good around Around the university, but the more yeah, remarkable, more, more remarkable one was Brian Pollitt. Oh, right, yeah, Brian, yeah, Brian yeah. Pollitt didn't have the pleasure of yeah. being, being being the son of the of the head head of the UK Tominist, Tominist oh, Communist Party. I see. And, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, he he, he graduated mm. the same year I did with uh-huh. a first in with a first in economics, which they don't yeah, yeah. which they don't give out to anybody. Unless you know, <laughs> probably go. <laughs> hey, Hajun, back mm. to this book. What exactly is edible economics? Oh yes. Uh, so the idea is uh, it is actually quite a weird uh, idea. That I I uh, name each chapter after a food ingredient. So there's a chapter on prawn, chapter on okra, chapter on Garlic, chapter yeah, of I April. never thought okra yeah. played such a big role in anything. That was interesting. We <laughs> just right, had that yeah. for dinner last night. Oh, right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I uh, start off with uh, some story about that food item. You know, it could be the biology of that uh, food item or the history behind it or my personal uh, relationship with that uh, food item, anything. And then I somehow morphed it uh, into an economic uh, story. And the main economic story may or may not have anything to do with uh, the initial story. So, uh, you know, I have a a chapter called Beef, uh, which uh, starts with uh, football, uh, soccer. And then somehow it becomes a story about the the free trade. uh, And I have another chapter that uh, starts with carrot. And it uh, the summer ends up uh, being a discussion of the, the pattern system. So it's a uh, kind of uh, the, the playful book. You know, the, basically the idea is that I'm trying to bribe my uh, readers with the interesting story about food, so that they would uh, pay a bit of attention to the economic story that follows. Uh, so in that sense, it's a bit like uh, the ice cream that, uh, that some of your mothers that uh, might have offered that uh, to entice you into eating your greens yeah. except that uh, yeah my bribery is uh, far better because it comes first you know so you don't have to read the economics if you don't like it but mm-hmm. you know the, the hope is that uh, somehow yeah you find that uh, my that uh, story is uh, interesting enough that that uh, before you know it uh, you will be reading about it exactly no? Yeah, I loved your your uh, opening about garlic. I mean, that's yes. you're talking about my mother-in-law. <laughs> hold hold, hold on right. a second, love. I want, I want to mm. I want to put I want to record something here before I forget. Okay. But, but, uh, over here, generally, uh, over here being in the U.S., mm-hmm. 
economics is termed the dismal profession. <laughs> That's right. And the, 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 reason, the reason for that is the single-handedly effort of one Thomas Malthus. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm wondering if in the current world situation, people won't eventually, might eventually reach the conclusion that Malthus was right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that, uh, you know, the population growth that, uh, is an issue, but uh, in the long run, I think that uh, Malthus was uh, you know, too pessimistic. You know, the, the world population has uh, grown uh, by several times that, that, uh, in the last century or so, and we still uh, are producing enough food uh, to feed uh, everyone in the world. Except that, you know, that it is uh, unequally distributed, so there are a lot of people who are uh, literally that, uh, starving, a lot of children who are stunted because of uh, lack of nutrition and so on. But uh, in terms of sheer amount, uh, we are <coughs> able to, that, uh, in theory, feed everyone. So that, uh, I think that, you know, I'm uh, that, uh, one of the uh, people who are more optimistic about that, uh, human uh, technological ingenuity. But we, but we well, what about teeth, Robert? He did that Hong Kong dinner, was it, where he he served not one thing that was not chemically based. <laughs> this is that a chef researcher in Paris. Right, I don't know that story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, does the name does the name Oeuvre Teeth mean anything to you? Yes, that's what mm-hmm. it was. That's it, yeah. No, probably not. No, no, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we so haven't I mean, able to do that only because uh, we have, uh, uh, to a large extent, uh, industrialized agriculture, you know, so that, uh, you use a lot of chemical, a lot of energy in the form of farm machinery, you know, the greenhouse, uh, that, uh, sorry, energy for greenhouse gases and so on. So, that, yes, I mean, that it uh, has been quite costly but uh, you know on the other hand that uh, we uh, have uh, developed all these technologies to uh, feed a lot more people than we could uh, even compared to uh, say 50 years ago so that uh, yeah we, 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 we used up all the guano in the process yeah absolutely yeah so the, they they depleted guano and then they uh, found a way to fix uh, nitrogen in the air to replace that. But uh, now it uh, is uh, becoming a, a serious issue because uh, the, this uh, requires a lot of energy and fossil fuel. So yes, I mean, they, that, uh, I'm not I, I, saying I that to, uh, these are non-problems, I wanted, but uh, mm. I wanted to remind remind them what guano is. Yeah, I know what it is. You know what it is. <laughs> Birdship. Yes. <laughs> Birdship. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the guano that uh, featured Bat. in my yeah, the chapter the, called anchovies, because yes. uh, the, the most uh, famous uh, guano deposit was uh, the, off the coast of uh, South America, uh, deposited uh, by seabirds uh, feeding on the anchovies that uh, are riding on the famous uh, Humboldt current uh, coming uh, up uh, from Antarctica. So yes, I mean, uh, guano was that uh, indeed uh, at one point in the 19th century the economic engine for Peru. You know, economic historians talk about the guano boom, guano period uh, in Peru. But it's, but it's interesting to refl- reflect on 
the Humboldt brothers. They were actually brothers. I don't know whether they were twins or not. But the, the university named after them is on Unter von Linden in, Ber in, yeah, in Berlin. Berlin. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I understand from your, one of the snippets in your book that, mm -hmm. that he, he received an award or special recognition because he climbed the highest mountain anybody had ever climbed sometime oh. in his life. That's right. Until that point, yeah, the, it was uh, this uh, the volcano the, in Ecuador called uh, Chim Chimborazo, and yeah, he didn't uh, reach the top, but that uh, he climbed uh, up to five thousand five hundred meters or something like that. So yeah, that uh, at that point in the early nineteenth century, he held the world record uh, for the highest uh, climb. Now, geographers are in love with the Humboldt current. Whether economists are, I'm not sure. No, to, I mean, that, uh, these days, uh, most economists are not very aware of uh, geographical dimensions of uh, the economy. But yes, I mean, that it's uh, that, uh, the most uh, important uh, current, I dare say. I mean, it uh, basically feeds uh, the whole of uh, the South American Continent, let, me, uh, yeah. let, me, let me be timely with the personality again, because mm -hmm. the, the, those of us who know soccer were reminded mm. of the excellence of the Ecuadorian soccer team, mm -mm. Which, which is, according to your book, is, is the number one in the whole world. They, they, oh, no, no, that uh, is uh, the, yeah, Uruguay, not Ecuador. Yeah. Oh, Uruguay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I spoke, I'm sorry. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, the Uruguay, yeah, the, the has won two World Cups. Uh, the very first one in 1930 and another one in 1950. Of course, uh, there are teams that have uh, won the, the more uh, World Cups than Uruguay. You know, Brazil has won six, and uh, you know, Italy and Germany have won four. You know, Argentina that three. But the, the thing is. Uruguay has only 3.5 million people against uh, 220 million of Brazil. So that, uh, I, that uh, if you uh, calculate it on per capita basis, it's uh, by far the best uh, footballing nation in the world. And but, uh, in the book... They, mm. they, they, they just made it number three though, right? Sorry? This, they just, you mean Uruguay this year? Just, just made it number three. Uh, no, not not in this World Cup, yeah. Didn't they win a match? Yeah. No, no, the, this year it was at, uh, no, the, this year it was Argentina. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, no, and, uh, the, no, but actually it's a uh, yeah, easy uh, mistake to make uh, because uh, the two teams have very similar uniforms, you know. They, they used to be in the same, uh, they used to be the same country, uh, Uruguay's uh, official name is the Oriental Republic of uh, Uruguay because it uh, used to be the eastern uh, part of uh, the Argentina. So, yes, I mean, that uh, is very well, that, not, uh, easy yeah, mistake well, to I'm make. Do, but, I'm, yeah. I'm, doing poorly. I'm doing poorly today, though. I'm not, <laughs> oh. I, can't, I can't even remember. You know, in, uh, in Korea, you say that uh, even monkeys that, uh, fall from uh, trees once in a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I picked out, I picked out a, a few of what you might call my favorite stories 
Mm-hmm. And we talked about Uruguay and beef extract just now. Yep. So you have a lot. You have a long story about the man who invented that. Ah, uh, yeah, the Liebig. Yeah, yeah, Liebig. That uh, was uh, this uh, eminent uh, German chemist uh, who is uh, considered that, uh, to be one of the fathers of uh, organic chemistry, and he invented this uh, the beef extract, uh, which. Uh, kind of uh, initially was that uh, commercially not viable because uh, the ingredient was that uh, too expensive. So you know uh-huh. that his uh, original idea was that that if uh, that we make uh, the beef extract, that uh, even poor people could access uh, the beef. But uh, uh, that uh, was uh, commercially not viable until this uh, the young <coughs> German engineer who worked in Uruguay came up with the idea of producing it. In Uruguay, where beef at the time was that uh, essentially a byproduct of the leather industry, because that uh, there was no refrigerated or uh, refrigerated that uh, right. shed, he, he and therefore you couldn't export right? the meat. Yeah, so that they exported that uh, cow leather, and the meat was uh, essentially the, the byproduct. Uh, so that this. Uh, company was uh, set up in Uruguay uh, in this uh, the town of uh, Frey Bentos, which right. uh, that, uh, for some people was uh, kind of uh, a famous uh, brand name for right. corned yeah, beef, yeah, which uh, that was crucial in feeding uh, the, the populations of uh, Britain and the Soviet Union during the, the Second World War. I mean, that one right. point right. to one-seventh of Meat supply to Britain was uh, that uh, corned beef uh, from, uh, well, not entirely, but uh, mostly Uruguay. So yes, I mean that uh, it uh, played a huge uh, role in that. Yeah. Yeah. D- during World War Two, it actually came in Mm-mm. cans. That's right. Yeah. I think people were still discovering cans of corned beef decades later. <laughs> That's right. I love corned beef. <laughs> whether, you know. Whether it was still, whether it was still any good. That was, that wasn't the question. The question was, were you hungry? <laughs> I, d- I, d- I, did, I did like your story about Elvis and his love of some kind of sandwich made at least partly from bananas. Bananas. That's right. Peanut butter, butter and bananas. Peanut butter and bananas. Yeah, yeah apparently also the piled bacon on it, but the, the, you know, the, 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 the Definition of uh, so-called Elvis sandwich is uh, peanut butter and bananas. Sweetheart, can 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 we give away the secret now? She's she's de- recently deceased. Who? Gail, huh? Gail Green. You remember Gail Green's book? Yeah. She, oh, oh, she, oh, 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 oh. She slept. She slept with the king. Yeah. Oh, that was wow. <laughs> and, 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 and right after right right after the whatever they did was over. He ordered the mm-hmm. corned beef. He ordered. <laughs> he didn't say it was a banana sandwich. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. No. He is uh, supposed to be eating a lot of weird things, you know. At, uh, oh, really? <laughs> but, but, but but help help uh, cheer up Elvis. A lot of people like that. Um, that the peanut butter and banana combination sandwich. Yeah, yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I have it all the time. Yeah. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. But, but will will the plants run out? I mean, aren't we rather worried about the, this disease 
that's affecting bananas? That's right, yeah. I mean, the, the banana has evolved uh, hugely through human intervention. So that we have uh, created uh, uh, these uh, varieties uh, that are essentially genetically identical. I mean, they don't reproduce themselves uh, uh, sexually anymore. So that uh, you are basically planting clones of the same uh, variety. And at the moment, uh, the dominant uh, variety called Cavendish uh, bananas, uh-huh. I mean, of the internationally traded uh, bananas, it uh, accounts for 90%, uh, 95%. So uh, unfortunately, uh, there is this uh, the disease uh, raging through banana plantations, right. which uh, that is uh, killing this uh, variety. And yeah, people are worried that uh, this uh, uh, commercial variety might uh, get uh, soon wiped out. Uh, so yes, I mean, it's uh, that uh, warning to the danger of uh, monocropping and uh, lack of uh, genetic diversity. Right. I mean, it's that uh, mm-hmm. crazy because that uh, banana industry had the exact same problem, but uh, in the 1950s with another then dominant variety called uh, Gros Michel, and uh, it uh, basically had wiped out, so the Cavendish uh, came to replace it, uh-huh. but then, yeah, it's <laughs> got the same problem. So yeah, now we are actually in danger of losing, you know, that much of the commercial bananas. Yeah. Right now, we've we've talked. You mentioned okra already. Mm. I don't. I don't know that we that we ever knew the 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 gory details of the fact that okra okra was used to feed people who had a one-way ticket from Africa to the southern United States. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, okra, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, enslaved Americans uh, brought uh, a lot of uh, crops, you know, from Africa, you know. Banana was uh, brought with them, although it originally came from uh, Southeast Asia. you know, the okra, black-eyed uh, peas, you know, the watermelon, and uh, you name it. But, uh, yeah, okra is uh, particularly uh, symbolic of uh, the southern uh, food culture. And, yeah, through that, uh, the story about okra, I tell the story of how, you know, enslaved Africans that uh, play such a huge role in the shaping what is the United States now, not just by providing, you know, uh, the most uh, labor the, to the, the slave owners, but also that, that by becoming the collateral with which uh, slave owners uh, could borrow money. And, uh, yeah, indirectly, uh, <laughs> basically shaping uh, the, 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 the U.S. Uh, geographically because, uh, the, you know, uh, the U.S. Uh, has its uh, the current geographical configuration only because uh, Napoleon decided to sell the, the, the middle bit, uh, which then was uh, in French position and was uh, called Louisiana. So not right, uh, right. the current, uh, the, not just the current right. state of uh, Louisiana, but uh, the whole bit uh, in the middle, and Napoleon uh, decided to uh, sell that uh, 
you know, this is that uh, known as the Louisiana Purchase, yeah. Uh, of 1803, uh, and Napoleon uh, decided to sell that bit uh, because uh, he got fed up with uh, the Americas because uh, the, the slave uh, revolt in San Domingue, uh, which is uh, now the Haiti that, uh, today, totally uh, uh, put him off uh, the, the, the idea of uh, being in the Americas. Uh, so, you know, when the, the, uh, James Monroe then the state secretary was uh, sent to uh, Paris uh, to negotiate the purchase of uh, the, what today is uh, the, the Florida and the, the, the port of New Orleans. Napoleon offered uh, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, apparently the, when the Monroe came back uh, the, with the whole the lot, Jefferson, the, the then president, uh, flew into a rage uh, saying, you idiot, I just uh, told you to buy that port and the hinterland. And you bought uh, this uh, useless land, which of course uh, that uh, later that uh, became the breadbasket of the U.S. and uh, the, the rest of the world, and then uh, gave uh, the U.S. Uh, the, the stepping stone uh, to become, but uh, sorry, reach uh, the Pacific Ocean, thereby becoming a uh, continental-sized country. So you know, I mean, of course that uh, the Haitian slaves that uh, didn't mean to. Uh, organized that uh, geographical that, uh, rearrangement, but uh, it, uh, they ended up uh, actually uh, creating the United States uh, as it is today. Right. Now, now, now you, your book is like, a, a, I view it as, and you say so, that it's as much about history as about anything else. But do you mm-hmm. have some kind of a, 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 a purpose uh, for writing the book beyond just historical recording. I mean, are, mm-hmm. are you doing a call for action or um, uh, suggesting weak spots we ought to uh, prop up? Or what? What mm-hmm. is your purpose with this book? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, as I said uh, in the beginning, I mean, the book is uh, basically a call for ordinary citizens uh, to learn economics, yeah, and. Uh-huh. Uh, in in learning economics, that that uh, it is uh, also very important to learn history, not just a uh, narrowly defined economic history, but uh, broader history, because you know that uh, we that, uh, can learn so much that uh, from uh, history. We don't have to actually you know do if you like a live experiment with uh, people uh, to know that something works, something doesn't work. And uh, I think, uh, unfortunately, economists that uh, ignore you know, history that uh, too easily, and uh, every time they come up with uh, something, they think uh, they have uh, invented uh, something completely new, and uh, that it would that uh, was already used uh, elsewhere. And uh, I mean, basically, a lot of uh, the reinventing of the wheel is going on. So that, you know, the learning right. history that uh, right is uh, quite important, also that in coming up with uh, the practical alternatives uh, for today's problems. Now, let, let's, let's not it, close until we give credit to your native mm-hmm. land. Because yeah. I, I, got, I got through a, a, lot, a lot of pages of, of mm. your book before, before I discovered your explanation as to why Korea became Korea. And, <laughs> and, the, the, and the vibrant economy that it represents 
parked, parked in front of our house, 310 South Highland Avenue, is is a Hyundai Sonata. Yeah. Ah, yeah. And they're and they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. But it was a brave man who bought the first one, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I used to remember in the 1977 when Hyundai uh, produced uh, his uh, first. Uh, car, well, first of its own model. Before that, uh, they used to assemble uh, Ford uh, models. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they exported uh, five cars to Ecuador, and that was uh, the, the headline in the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> it started from the very inauspicious uh, the beginning. I mean, the whole country was like that, you know, that uh, in 1961, uh, its uh, per capita income was uh, Ninety-three dollars uh, in the same year, uh, per capita income of Ghana was one hundred and ninety. So it was uh, one of the poorest economies. Now, but how, uh, it, how, yeah, I mean, how did that? How did that? How did that economic miracle happen? It's, it's, well, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, in a way, it's. Uh, hmm? it, it seems to me that that there's there was another factor at work, and and uh-huh. geographers didn't get it right, and I'm uh-huh. not sure economics. Economists got it right, either. I'm, I'm talking about the role that individuals, based on what they discover, uh-huh. what, the, what, the, what so so pe- people like Henry Ford, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. made made a, made a difference. The people <clears throat> the people who built Hyundai into the marvelous economic engine that it now is were people. That's right. Yeah. No. No. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, in an attempt to do a kind of a scientific, systematic research, economists that, uh, that despite uh, that, I mean, their emphasis on the individual initiatives and so on, when actually analyzing uh, the real history, that uh, tend to downplay the role of individuals. But uh, in the book, I uh, also try to argue that you know that. that these uh, visionary individuals are extremely important, but uh, you know they cannot do it alone. I mean, uh, you know, another reason behind the success of uh, Korea and uh, quite a few other East Asian countries was uh, that uh, they uh, educated their people. They, you know, that created the system where that people could work together. You know, in the, the innovating and uh, developing new ideas. Uh, so, I mean, the, everything has to the, 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 be there together. You know, you need a government with the right policies. You need uh, visionary entrepreneurs. You know, that uh, need well-educated workers. You know, the scientists. You know, engineers. So yeah, at one level, there's no secret. Uh, there's no magic formula. But on the other hand, that uh, uh, you know, getting those uh, uh, things uh, that sound obvious uh, into place is actually not easy. And uh, in order to do that, uh, the government had to put uh, a lot of effort in the, you know the controlling uh, how enterprises uh, do their businesses. Uh, the, the government had to uh, provide uh, the right environment. Let me let me surprise. I think I think I'll surprise you. And wh- where it will go from that point, I'm not sure. And I'm going to bore mm-hmm. Anne a second because she's heard me tell this story. 
a number of times. But I, I was in I was in Boston. I was actually speaking at a technical conference, mm-hmm. and and lunchtime came around, and I went to the place where you were supposed to have lunch, and a, and a gentleman came over, just a young man in his middle thirties probably, mm-hmm. came down and sit, sit, sat next to me, and introduced mm-hmm. himself. He said, "My name is Timothy Berners Lee." Well, oh right! I don't know if you know this or not, but Timothy Berners-Lee essentially invented the internet. That's right. Yeah. A, 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 to- a totally astounding achievement. Uh huh. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, uh, it, uh, well, you know, we have I, lots I, and I, lots to talk about, but we're kind of running <laughs> out of time it. here. <laughs> we yeah, may yeah. have to do a part two on this one. How June? Uh, your book is wonderful. Listeners, again, it's Haojun Chang, who is a sterling economist, and not having anything to do with silver, of course. And the book is called Edible Economics. And um, we actually didn't talk about beef, but you said how beef explains yeah. free trade. Um, it, it's packed with information, and uh, the, we we can only make a, a an effort, uh, at a stab at conveying all the information in it but it's a wonderful book Hajun and I thank you for both the book and for talking to us hold on a second thank you very much we got got so excited we forgot to credit the institution that that you still work for oh yeah I um, yeah I I used to teach uh, in the University of Cambridge Uh, I taught there for 32 years Six months ago, I moved to University of London in this uh, unit called uh, School of Oriental and African Studies, uh, which is one of the the, the most uh, interesting places uh, that uh, study the the Global South. uh, So there we go. Now, is is Jeremy Bentham still, still standing in effigy? Outside the London School of Economics? Oh, right. No, I don't think that uh, he does, but uh, the, the rumor has it that uh, he that, uh, wanted to kind of have his uh, body preserved uh, somewhere. I mean, apparently it's that uh, hidden somewhere in the US of London. <laughs> it's that uh, uh, one of these uh, wide rumors that uh, I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> well, here, here's, here's another rumor for you. The story, the story goes that when John F. Kennedy became president of the United States, the LSE uh-huh. daily newspaper headline uh-huh. was, LSE guy makes good. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, yeah. Fun, fun talking to you, Hajun. And, uh, Thank you for having continued me. Continued success, and I hope you keep writing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.